Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Tribes nationwide are seeking ways to develop sustainable economic growth, but opportunities to do so are often governed by federal policy. Ryan Smith moderates a conversation between Sarah Walters and Sarah Octorloni in which they discuss methods for developing economic opportunity within tribes, such as tribal lending. By addressing how tribes' financial interests are intertwined with federal regulation and policy, like the CFPB's underwriting rules and the U.S. Department of Labor's enforcement of ERISA and the PPA, Walters and Octorloni provide a roadmap to solving issues impacting tribes doing business across the country. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast. I'm Ryan Smith, chair of the American Indian Law and Policy Group. Today I'm joined by Sarah Walters and Sarah Octorloni. Today's topic is the important practice of developing economic opportunities within tribal communities and how federal regulation may impact those practices. One of the items we'd like to discuss today are economic opportunities in the area of tribal lending. Sarah Octorloni, can you give us a quick overview of tribal lending and how certain federal regulations can impact these opportunities? Sure. So one of the industries that I follow a lot in the tribal economic development space is tribal lending. Tribal lending has grown in the last five or six years predominantly because um, it's really perfectly suited for, uh, as a business for tribal governments to get into. It can be done from anywhere. It's very high-tech, and it brings great jobs. Um, it's got call center jobs for people who um, want that sort of regular call center um, business and that can be used in a variety of different industries, including financial services. But it's also good for bringing in high-tech jobs so that you can keep and retain and attract, you know, the the young people in your areas who are interested in those um, exciting types of high-tech technology jobs. One of the big developments in financial services with Indian tribes is that there are a lot of new federal regulations happening, Um, in particular the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is the federal agency that governs all of the delivery of financial services to consumers, has started making uh, some regulations governing payday lending and installment lending. Um, And these are the category of loans that you see a lot of the tribally owned financial services companies offering. So we've been watching what's been happening coming out of the CFPB lately in that area. Can you walk us through what recent activities there have been at the CFPB as it relates to tribal lending? Right. So the CFPB has issued some rules regarding payday lending and installment lending and has recently, under the new administration, decided that they're going to revise and rethink some aspects of the rules. And so they have consulted with the sovereign nations, so they did a tribal consultation, in order to get some feedback from a number of the leaders of tribes that do operate online financial services businesses. So they had that consultation in December, um, right before the Christmas break. And is that consultation something that the administration is required to do? Yes. Um, But maybe I should let Sarah Walters talk about that because it's something that she's worked a lot with. Thanks, Sarah. Yes, to answer your question, Ryan, the 
executive branch is required by an executive order, 13175, to consult with federally recognized Indian tribes on any federal activity that would substantially impact those Indian tribes. And that could include final agency action, federal policies, or even a position on a particular matter. So it's not surprising that the CFPB would be consulting on a rule like this one. So, and Sarah Octorlundi, can you walk us through a little bit how the proposed rule could impact tribes? Yeah, so the rule when it was originally written had some provisions in it that required lenders to evaluate certain characteristics of a borrower's financial profile, like their income, their W-2 income, their paychecks, what their housing expenses were, and other expenses um, given the area of the country that they lived in and what lenders can sort of reasonably expect a person's expenses and debt-to-income ratio would be. And it was um, written with a mindset towards when a person walks into a store and has their documentation with them, um, and then copies can be made and kept and filed away. But the beauty of tribal lending is that there is no store, there is no retail space, it's all done online. And the way that underwriting decisions are made in tribal lending is that instead of looking at four or five little pieces of data, they use really advanced algorithms in order to collect all sorts of data about consumers, their area codes, their um, how long they've had their telephone number, all sorts of information that you wouldn't think would be important in underwriting decisions gets analyzed um, in order to determine whether somebody else, somebody's going to be uh, a good lending risk. And um, the CFPB's rule didn't take any of this, I would say, like really high-tech and much, much smarter underwriting into account when they wrote the rule. So the tribal consultation, I think, was just really important in order to uh, explain to the Bureau that they really need to get out of that sort of storefront mindset when they're thinking about uh, installment lending and payday lending. Because really the way that the technology is moving these days, um, the tribes are out there at the front of it, and they're doing it better with better results, and um, they're not using sort of the Bureau's old-fashioned underwriting concepts in order to achieve their results. So what can tribes do to influence this process? I mean, I think that attending the consultation was a great first step. I do think that continuing to engage with um, both the federal regulators, but also um, their local federal officials, so congressmen, states, um, creating those relationships and telling the story about how important and what a great opportunity it, it is for, for Native American tribes to get into the offering of financial services. And is there anything specifically that you or Brownstein is doing on this subject? Yes. It's one of our passion areas, actually. So um, Brownstein is heavily involved in something called the Conference of Tribal Lending Commissioners. And as you know, um, whenever a Native American tribe is involved in something that's traditionally highly regulated, so whether it be gaming or something involving the environment, that doesn't mean that there's no regulation. It means that the tribes have to supply their own regulation. Um, and so uh, with financial services, um, tribes also have been stepping up and providing their own regulatory 
authorities, so commissions um, and other regulatory bodies. And so um, Brownstein and some of our other partners, uh, we've sort of been at the forefront of making sure that the various tribal regulatory agencies across the First Nations have the opportunity to connect together uh, in a professional manner and increase their expertise um, and coordinate on their regulatory projects. Sarah Walters, I'm going to turn to you here and see if you can talk a little bit about um, economic development in Indian country and if there are any potential opportunities with this administration to address some regulations that are proving to be problematic for tribes. Yes, there um, there are opportunities, but I just want to underscore how important Sarah's work is and tribal economic development generally. Sarah talked about tribal lending and how that is an economic development driver for Indian tribes, and it, and it is becoming an increasingly important one. Tribes are kind of an emerging market in this space, and they are really starting to take on steam with uh, with regard to this industry. There are other industries and economic development engines that tribes have more traditionally used and are generally more associated with tribes. Gaming is the is the first and foremost that a lot of people think about with Indian tribes, and it has been a very important economic development driver for tribal governments and government services. A lot of people don't know that revenue from Indian gaming and a lot of other tribal economic development has to go toward general welfare of the tribe or tribal programs. So it's not the same as, say, a private corporation when they're taking in uh, revenue and profits, they can use those for whatever they want within uh, certain parameters. Tribes have to use that income to benefit the community. So it is very much like what you would experience uh, with other governments when they're taking in revenue, say, from a state lottery or from state park admissions or other activities that, that states use to generate revenue. So it's it's critical to tribal governments to have that type of economic driver because tribes don't have other revenue generating opportunities like states have, such as income or property taxes. They just don't have uh, the same tax base and uh, many of their residents are already uh, experiencing high levels of taxation in other contexts. So uh, that brings me to how tribes are regulated in a lot of these uh, revenue generation activities. And you asked me a second ago what uh, this administration is doing or what opportunities tribes might have to impact uh, how the federal government is influencing their economic development opportunities. And there is one in particular that tribes should be paying attention to, and is that, and that is the Department of Labor and how they're treating tribes in the context of ERISA and the Pension Protection Act. Sarah Walters, why don't you walk us through some of the impediments to economic growth right now at the Department of Labor and what tribes could do to address uh, those challenges? 
So as I mentioned, the Department of Labor is treating tribes in a way that disadvantages them uh, vis-a-vis state and local governments with regard to their pension plans, health care, and other uh, benefit programs for tribal employees because they're considering those activities that those tribal employees are engaged in as commercial activities as opposed to governmental. Now, do the states and uh, non-Indian local governments get treated the same way? Actually, they don't. So under the Pension Protection Act, governments are supposed to be treated differently than private sector corporations with regard to labor practices, including their pensions, health care, and other benefit programs, but only when they're conducting essential government functions. That term is undefined, so there's nothing out there that defines what uh, an essential government function is as opposed to a non-essential government function or a commercial function. But state and local governments that are engaged in what might otherwise be considered commercial activities are still considered governmental because the funds from those activities go to a public purpose. So if a state, for example, uh, runs a lottery, those employees that are engaged in conducting the lottery and auditing the lottery and doing all of the things that are required to run a successful lottery are state government employees. And they are, the state is allowed to have a government pension plan for those employees. However, if a tribe were to engage in a similar activity in tribal gaming, the Department of Labor has concluded that that, even though the funds go to a public purpose and government activities, is con- that's considered a commercial activity. Now, Sarah, has the Department of Labor consulted with tribes on their interpretation? Uh, actually, no, they've not. That is kind of a point of contention with, uh, with some tribal governments right now. The Department of Labor has been engaged in enforcement activities against tribal governments who have been treating employees engaged in economic development activities as government employees as opposed to uh, commercial employees. So tribes have been having to defend enforcement actions, and the Department of Labor has been unwilling so far to engage in a consultation process with tribes. In light of this administration's views on economic growth and traditional Republican support on this issue, I think there is an opportunity here for tribes reaching out to this administration and getting congressional support to get consultation from the Department of Labor. I think that this should be a this should receive bipartisan support honestly because it should be a no-brainer that federal agencies should be treating tribes the same as they treat other governments within the United States. The federal government has a special relationship with tribal governments. It is a nation-to-nation relationship, and they have, a, they have various trust and treaty obligations to tribal governments. And neither party should hesitate to a- embrace that concept. I agree with that, but last year Congress took up and failed to move the Tribal Labor Sovereignty Act because of opposition by a number of labor groups. 
Do you think that would pose a similar problem in the context of these enforcement actions? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I would hope not because in this particular instance, there's not really a benefit to having tribes have two sets of pension plans and two sets of benefits for tribal employees. Tribal governments are often struggling financially and administratively. So why create an administrative burden when you're trying to help tribal governments move forward? Is there a concern that if this interpretation holds, it can bleed into other areas such as taxation? Well, the succinct answer to your question is yes, but uh, truly, it already has. The, the IRS has, in other contexts, treated tribes differently than state and local governments, but that's, that's for another day and another podcast. It, there is a concern, though, that treating tribes not as governmental entities in any context by the federal government erodes tribal sovereignty and makes it more difficult for for tribal governments to move forward. So what can tribes do? And is there anything that Brownstein is working on to raise awareness to both the administration and Congress? Yes. As I mentioned, the Department of Labor has not yet allowed or embraced Uh, the idea of consulting with Indian tribes on its treatment of tribes under ERISA and the Pension Protection Act. I would urge tribal governments to engage with the Department of Labor, whether that be through a letter or a meeting request, to ask them to consult on this issue. Even if your tribe has not been impacted specifically yet with regard to this issue, it is in the interest of every tribal government to ensure that the federal government is treating tribes the same as it's at least the same as it's treating state and local governments. So I would urge tribes to reach out and you can do that in several ways. At Brownstein, we have been developing a form letter that any tribe could use as a base and tweak it however you would like, asking the Department of Labor to consult on this very important issue. And submitting general comments to the Department of Labor about its uh, disparate treatment of tribes. I think if enough tribes raise their voices to uh, the Department of Labor, they'll be forced to listen. If anybody is interested in receiving a copy of our form letter or would like to engage more on this issue, My information is in the show notes for this podcast, and we'd be happy to share that with you. So as you can see, there are a number of factors uh, currently at play in this administration impacting economic growth and tribal sovereignty, and there are a number of things that tribes can do to weigh in to make sure that their voice is heard and that their tribal sovereignty is preserved. Sarah and Sarah, thank you for participating today. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
Visit bhfs.com for more information.